coming up. One of my biggest beliefs about technology is not that it affects us, but we affect it. Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, Bebo, LinkedIn, YouTube, MySpace, social networks, reconfiguring the social world for better or for worse. One of the great myths about the internet is that it's a substitution device. Our guest is Malcolm Parks, author of Personal Relationships and Personal Networks. I suppose I worry a little bit about people disappearing into virtual worlds, but not a lot. I mean, people disappear into golf. The great river is that people just communicate more in all forms. Recorded in front of a live audience at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Social networking, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, Philosophy Talk is on the road. We're recording the program in front of a live audience at Pacific University in Forest Grove, Oregon. Our thinking originated at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today's program is the keynote event of Pacific University's 13th annual undergraduate philosophy conference. We're very pleased to meet some of our fellow philosophers right here in Oregon. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, folks. Our topic today is social networking. Well, Ken, I suppose we're talking about social networks just because we're doing this show in front of a young, hip audience of college students from all around the world, the kind of people who probably spend hours on Facebook and they know how to tweet or Twitter or whatever it is and the like. John, you, uh, you sound a little skeptical there, dude. Oh, no, Ken, I, I just love all of this stuff. I mean, <laughs> I got a page on Facebook at your urging because we had this Philosophy Talk Facebook community. And, and I'm really glad that so many people like to follow the comings and goings of Philosophy Talk over Facebook, but for me personally, it's a big pain. People I've never heard of ask to be my friend. Once a month, I log on and I say yes to all requests to be my friend because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> Aside from that, I, I never go there. I mean, why do I want to know if you're walking your dog? Or why do I want to see pictures of some party in Australia that I didn't go to? <laughs> it's a complete waste of time. Well, John, a lot of time is wasted on these online communities. I don't deny that. But, but I think you're underestimating the potential of this stuff. Uh, eventually, social networking is going to change the way we relate to each other in really far-reaching ways. Uh, that's what I believe. Well, so does the mumps, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, how is it going to do this? I mean, how is it going to help you? you it's going to enable you to keep in touch with your so-called friends, people you hardly know or barely remember, or probably some of them have been trying to avoid for years. Loosen up, John. I mean, loosen up. I mean, you might even find that some of the folks who, be, who become your Facebook 
friends could become your real friends, and they'd enrich your lives. Oh, yeah. What kind of friendship would that be? I'd like to eat lunch, have a beer, shoot some pool with my friends. You can't do that on the Internet. Oh, gosh. You're, now you're mistaking your own limitations for uh, limitations of the possibility of two friendship. I mean, ever since the dawn of writing, I mean, that was in your time, right? There have been... <laughs> There have been long-distance friendships. Yeah, I could never get the hang of that writing stuff, you know. Uh, personally, I, I do find it hard to keep up a friendship through letter writing or the telephone. But leaving me aside, do you really think the Internet has the power to change something basic about the possibilities of friendship? You know, I really, I really think it does. And I don't think it's just friendship. All human relations, insofar as they are mediated by the Internet, are undergoing a revolution. I mean, think about the way businesses relate to their customers, or, or the way people like you and me conduct scholarship, or, or the way groups of like-minded people dedicated to a cause can organize themselves. I mean, it's really a social revolution, and I think we, you know, philosophy talk, question everything except your intelligence, we ought to reflect philosophically on this huge big deal before it overwhelms us, not after it overwhelms us. Okay, okay, we question everything, we should question that. but. Will it really affect us as philosophers? Well, I'll give you an example. Ask yourself, what do we really need publishers of scholarly journals for? Well, you're kidding. I mean, they have two functions that are, that are really important. First, they certify certain articles as worthy of publication, so we don't have to read everything that everybody thinks is ready. And then they distribute those articles to the scholarly community. I, I mean, I, I guess I see your point. The distribution maybe isn't a very crucial function anymore, but there still seems to be a role for these journals and for the editors and for the publishers as certifiers of quality. Yeah, it's an obsolete way of doing business. It was designed for another era. I mean, we can police ourselves as a group. Oh, we don't need this outside authority called the publishing industry. I mean, suppose a community of like-minded scholars just decided to form a social network dedicated to reading, evaluating, and distributing each other's work. They would tag, evaluate, and share papers they liked, and the ones they didn't like, they'd tag them and criticize them, and then they'd sort of die out. It would be a bottom-up, self-policing certification system run by the scholars themselves without this outside authority that just makes money off of us. Your bottoms-up, self-policing certification system run by scholars themselves, A, sounds like a lot of work, and B, I'm not sure it would be an improvement. But you've at least convinced me that we need to think about this. Well, that's good. And fortunately, we've got a guest who has thought long and hard about the pitfalls and possibilities of social networking. That's Malcolm Parks from the University of Washington. He'll be joining us shortly. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, April Dremboski, takes a look at social networking by religious groups. She files this report. There is a lot of God talk in our little corner of the Twitterverse. Bob Hyatt is the lead pastor at Evergreen Christian Community in Portland. He founded the church in 2004 with the goal of reaching younger Christians. He quickly realized that monthly newsletters and other traditional church communications weren't going to work. We had no money and no budget, so we couldn't do what churches normally do, which is send out mailers. Being a church of primarily 25 to 35 year olds, everyone's online. We just began to connect that way. When new folks come to check out the church, they fill out a simple card with their name and email address. Hyatt takes it from there. I'll just do a search for them on Facebook, and nine times out of ten, they're already there. I'll friend them, and, and they'll say, yeah, okay, that's the pastor from the church we were just visiting or, or we're just starting to connect with. I think in a lot of ways, it has become a relationship accelerator. Hyatt has more than 700 friends on Facebook, and more than 500 people follow him on Twitter. 
He has his own blog where he keeps track of innovative Christian uses of online networking tools, like his friend's Passion Week Twitter series leading up to Easter. Throughout the week, updates would drop on Twitter that would let you know what had been happening in the life and the trial and the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus so that you could follow it basically in real time. Even Jesus has his own Facebook page. And I have a feeling that uh, it's not just Jesus that has his own page, but probably a lot of other people do as well, including uh, I think I saw the devil had his own. There are all sorts of exclusive faith-based social networking sites. Communities are racing to develop a definitive Christian version of Facebook where pastors have more control over the content and members. But Hyatt says this ghettoizes Christians. He says Jesus wanted his followers to integrate with the secular community. To engage in the kinds of things that everyone around them is engaging in. So hang out in the pubs, live in the coffee shops, serve on the PTA, and just use Facebook. You know, don't try to come up with your own Christianized version of it. Social networking has created a forum for Christians from around the world to get to know each other and expand dialogue around faith. But social networking has its limitations too. When I use it to connect with people in Maryland and Canada and all these other places around the world, I think it's kind of cool and there's some novelty to it, but I think there's a cost. I knew I was in trouble when my wife one night over dinner asked me, so what's what's going on? What have you been thinking about? What have, what's been happening in your life? And the first thing that came into my head was, well, haven't you been reading the blog? So Hyatt decided to take a break. He gave up Facebook and Twitter for Lent. When you give up chocolate, when you give up beer, when you give up different things, you realize the ways in which you were using those things to soothe, to self-medicate. And because Twitter and Facebook and other things had, be, had taken up so much of my mental bandwidth and my imagination over the past few months, I thought this would probably be a good thing for me to take a break from. After Easter, he slowly worked his way back to the online social world. I'm hoping to re-engage with them a little bit more thoughtfully and maybe tell my wife some things before I Twitter them. For Philosophy Talk, I'm April Dembosky. You can listen to the rest of this program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.